This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Jeremiah chapter 48. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Jeremiah chapter 48. Just reading one verse, verse 11. Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his drags and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remains in him and his scent has not changed. Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his drags. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. For anyone that has flown particularly long haul flights where you are required at some point in your journey, usually midway, you've got to change planes. And you'll be very familiar that when you get off the plane to get to your next destination, you follow the sign that says, transit this way. So you get into that lane and you transit that way till you get probably to another terminal, at least to another departure lounge. Now, if you are going to another destination, you must do that. Other passengers that were your fellow travelers with you up to that point, uh, they must exit the airport because they're not transiting through it. And they'll do that because probably they live there, that's their home, or maybe they're going on holiday or they're going to do some business. But you are transiting. You cannot exit the airport you must go to the next terminal and get that other departure lounge. And I think that this is a, a metaphor for life in general and for the Christian life in particular. Because right now, all of us are transiting. We are going in a direction. This is not our final destination. Amen. We have not arrived yet. And so we're on a journey to get to our final destination. From the day you were born to the day you die, you have been transiting. You transit from babyhood to infancy. You transit from infancy to puberty, adolescence, young teenager, adulthood, middle age, old age. <laughs> we go from pram to tricycle to bicycle, to car, to plane. We're always transiting. We go from play school to primary school, to high school, to college, to university, to further education perhaps. There's a transiting period in our lives. You go from sweetheart to bride, to mother, to grandmother. If you want to know how you're transiting, look into the mirror. 
Look at your 10-year-old passport. <laughs> Be in for a shock when you see that. You know that you're transiting. Look into your heart. Are you transiting? Are you changing? Is your life different now than what it was? Can you see a change? Has the old passed away? Has the new come into your life? Some transitions, they are they're delightful. They're easy. It just seems to be that everything clicks into place. You hardly even notice. It's plain sailing. But all our transitions are painful and they're costly. And they come with tears and trials. And it's a wrench, an imposition. It's an inconvenience. It's difficult. Some are simple, some are scary. Some are joyful. So many over the years, a young man or young woman has come up the aisle to stand at the altar and to say their vows. What an exciting time that is. But some are sad. The young husband, the young wife, grieves for the loss of their partner. Some, the promotion comes. Other times, it's redundancy notice is in the post. For some, it's the doctor has given the all clear. For others, it's that shadow that's in the x-ray that is troublesome. It's worrying. So how do we cope with transitions? How do we handle this journey in life where we are being emptied from vessel to vessel. Not everybody copes very well. One of those long flights I was doing one time, uh, we had to refuel. And in that case, uh, what you simply do is they give you a special boarding pass, tell you to take your valuables, you go off the plane, you go into the terminal, you hang around for an hour, you maybe look at duty free or you sit down, you have a cook or something. And then within that hour, then you go back to the gate uh, with your special pass. You board the plane, you sit down, you buckle in, you're ready for off. And I remember one of those times when we had done all of that, that was duty required, we got on our flight, we buckled in, and the, the personnel were doing a head count. So they upped the plane, they did the count, then upped the plane again, they did it the second time, and we're coming up for the third time. And I stopped one of the stewardesses and I said, excuse me, is somebody missing? And said, yes, one passenger. I says, I think I know who that is. I says, there was an elderly Indian gentleman sat in front of me, and he doesn't speak any English because once had been trying to converse with him. And I says, I'm nearly sure that's who it is. She said, you could be right. We'll go and check. So 15 minutes later, there they brought the, the dear old man onto the plane. We almost felt like giving him a clap. 
And there he came on. He had no idea where he was, what he was doing, why he was off the plane, why he was on the plane. Uh, I've really, really felt sorry for that old gentleman. He just had not got... Somebody put him on the plane and probably said, so-and-so, pick you up at the other side. Didn't realize they had to refuel. And there he was. He didn't know what was happening, the dear old man. Are we like that old gentleman? Stuck in the terminal not knowing how we got there, not knowing how we're going to get out of there, not knowing how we got to that point, not knowing how we're going to get to the next place in God. Peter struggled with transition. It was easy at the start. Christ came along, said, follow me. The first thing he did immediately was pack his job in. He was a commercial fisherman. It was a big thing to do. He left all and followed Christ. Then there was that time of popularity for Jesus. And that was easy. That was a good transition too. Because he and the other disciples, they could bask in the glow of the admiration and maybe adulation that Jesus was receiving in his popular time. And, and, and probably they felt like many celebrities. Everywhere Jesus was, they were. And people began to recognize them. So that was a, an easy transition but then there came the time when, of Jesus' unpopular year. The time when they were plotting against him. The time when it got to be dangerous to be with Jesus. And he wasn't handling that very well. He was fine at the start. He was fine when it was popular. But when things began to get a bit rough, he wasn't handling it very well. Do you remember how that when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, he took out his sword and he cut the ear of one of the arresting officers. Jesus had to rebuke him. He didn't know how to handle it. Didn't realize at that point that was part of the plan. <laughs> this is what Christ came to do. Didn't get that. And then, of course, the awful time when he denied Jesus three times, when the pressure was on, when the heat was on, he caved in. And he denied even the Lord. And then even after all that, a few of them were going to go fishing again. And so he found some transitions difficult. But then things begin to pick up at Pentecost. And we see him at Pentecost where he's not just Peter the disciple now, he's Peter the apostle. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he preaches that mighty sermon and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. And then later, 5,000 come to Christ. And he's doing miracles. And things is really happening. And, and for the first half of the book of Acts, he, without question, is the main man. He gets the big mention. He's the natural leader. He's Peter. Everybody knows Peter. Even the the religious forces is against the disciples. They all knew Peter. We have mentioned this morning how Herod wanted to kill him. And he handled that. He was good at that. He was courageous. He was filled with the Spirit. But then the Apostle Paul comes along. And he is a different character altogether. 
He's a man of great intellect, a man with a forensic mind, a theologian, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And not only that, he has this great revelation from Jesus. He ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Great missionary evangelist. And he then, as far as the scriptures are concerned, he then becomes the main man in the second half of the book of Acts. He's the one that gets the big mention. I wonder how Peter handled that. I wonder how Peter handled being out of the limelight. Now, that doesn't mean to say God left him aside because I'm sure he was as busy as ever. But as far as the scriptures are concerned, it's very evident when you go past halfway through Acts, there's no hardly any mention of Peter. It's all Paul, 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 Paul. How did he handle that? I think he did just fine. I think by that time he had matured a lot. And I think that he handled that transition very well from being the disciple to being the apostle. And then, much later in life, another transition. He becomes Peter the epistle writer. And he writes two great epistles, First and Second Peter. They're short epistles. You ought to read them and get familiar with them. They're wonderful epistles, great help to the church in that generation and great help to the church today. And so Peter had transitions to go through in his life as a man in his ministry, as a servant of Christ. He had transitions, some he did well, some he struggled with, but in the end, in the end, he was tremendous. He did brilliantly. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, how he lost his life. We know that he was going to be a martyr because Jesus told him he was going to have to die for him. But the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how and when that happened. But tradition tells us that it was at Rome and he was crucified. Eusebius said apparently that his wife was crucified. He had to watch his wife being crucified. And then he was next and he asked his executioners to crucify him upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the same way as Jesus. He wanted to honor him by being upside down. And so at the end of his life, he was a man of great faith, a man of great courage, a man who left us two great little letters in this book. David woke up one morning, a keeper of sheep, and he went to bed that night, a slayer of giants. <laughs> he went from being a non-entity to being a national hero in one day. In just one day. How many people could handle that? Most young people especially couldn't handle that. Most adults couldn't handle it, to be truthful. If fame was suddenly pressed upon you and suddenly the whole nation was talking about you, how could you handle that? Would it fill you full of pride? Or would you be humble? Thankfully, David was humble. C.H. Spurgeon said, we have plenty of people nowadays who could not kill a mouse without publishing it in the Gospel Gazette. <laughs> Samson killed a lion and said nothing about it. 
The Holy Spirit finds modesty so rare that he takes care to record it. Say much of what the Lord has done for you, but say little of what you have done for the Lord. Hmm. And so he had a wonderful start. Thrust right into the limelight. And he was just a lad. But God had a bigger plan for him. But it was going to take a while. In fact, from when Samuel commissioned him to be king of Israel until his coronation was 10 years. A whole decade. And if you read his life in that period, it wasn't easy. Saul wanted to kill him and tried at least two occasions to murder him. His own son Absalom wanted to kill him. And he had to go into exile and he lived in caves and in dens for a while until finally the transition period was over and he was anointed king and crowned king over Israel and became the greatest king that Israel ever had. Joseph, he had a lot of transitioning to do in his life, didn't he? From his father's favoritism to his brother's animosity. His father so loved him and his brother so hated him. And you know the story so well, I don't need to repeat it. He went from that pit, sold into slavery, to Potiphar's house, to the prison, and finally to the palace. From that moment when he was sold into slavery until he became the prime minister of Israel was 22 years. 22 years. It's a long time, isn't it? And there was a lot of transitioning in that time because God was preparing him for high office. And God was preparing him to be the savior of his race, of his family, and then his race. The slave became the savior. The betrayed became the benefactor. But there was a long transition. And each of us, spiritually, are in a transition right now. And sometimes you're aware of it, and sometimes you aren't aware of it. Sometimes you're wondering what is going on, and sometimes you know what is going on. You understand it. Moab has been at ease from his youth because he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. And the illustration is very simple. It was in the making of the wine. And they would trample the grapes with their feet, as they did in those days. Then they would pour out that grape juice into another vessel. And with that would go some of the pith, and the seeds, and the skin. And then they would allow that, the dregs to settle at the bottom. And then they would take that vessel, they would pour it into another vessel, and some of them drag, some of those drags would go into that vessel, they would let it settle, 
and then they would do that again and again because if they didn't do that and it settled on its drags, it would end up like vinegar, be undrinkable. So they had to get rid of all of those drags. But it had to be emptied from vessel to vessel. A work was being done to make the wine. And as you and I are being emptied spiritually from vessel to vessel, God is doing a work in our lives. And he's perfecting us for what he wants us to be, for what he wants us to do, but it takes some time. And you're emptied from vessel to vessel. Our lives are generally not static. Sure they're not. We have ups and downs. We have all kinds of roads to travel. We have mountains to climb, valleys to go through. All of that has been emptied from vessel to vessel. But there's a purpose in all of it. God is preparing us. So what do you do in the transitions? How do you handle it? What do you do? First of all, look for God in the transition. Look for God in the transition. Just because everything goes smoothly and it's plain sailing doesn't necessarily mean that God's in it. <laughs> we all love everything to go smoothly. We love plain sailing. We hate hiccups. And sometimes you may think if everything's going smoothly, everything's plain sailing, surely God must be in it. Not necessarily so. Oftentimes he is. Most times he would be, but not necessarily so. Let me tell you about David again. In 2 Samuel 7, here's what it says. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house that the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in tent curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David is at a, a place in his life as king where, as we see, that God had given rest from all of his enemies round about. This was like a golden age. He was prosperous. He wasn't at war with anybody. Everything was going wonderfully. It was plain sailing. Everything was hunky-dory, we would say. And it seemed to be that God was in it. In what? In what he was planning. What was he planning? He was planning to build a house for God. He said, this is not right. I've got a beautiful home. My walls are lined with cedar. But look at the Ark of the Covenant. Look where it says, it's in an old tent. That can't be right. I want to build something fitting for the ark of God, for the presence of God to be in. Wonderful. Thank God. He's got a mind to do something for God's kingdom. He's got a mind to do something for the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. And no wonder Nathan said to him, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved always about in a tent and in a tabernacle. 
Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, have cut off all your enemies from before you, have made you a great name, like the name of a great man who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they shall dwell in the place of their own, and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you what he will, that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you have rest and you rest with your fathers, I will set up on you, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever talking about Solomon. And I will be his father, he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not be part from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. And if you read on down, you'll see that David praised the Lord. He accepted it graciously. And basically says, okay, God. Wonderful, fine. God was going to bless his son. His son was going to build this house for the ark of the Lord. And David was fine with that. And then if you turn over, or if I turn over rather for you, uh, to First Chronicles chapter 22, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God. This is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel. He appointed masons to cut and hew stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors, for the gates, and for the joints, and bronze in abundance beyond measure, and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians, and those those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David." Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for God must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparation before his death. And he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. I remember Nathan says, go and do all that's in your heart. But God had all our plans, you see. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood, have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you and shall be a man of rest. uh, And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, which means peaceful. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. And you see, David thought, because everything was smooth and plain sailing and everything was wonderful and he was at peace, he was rest, he was prosperous. 
What a better time. And there's no better time to build a temple for the Lord. No better person to do it than him. But God had other ideas. A transition would have to be made from David to Solomon. And David would have to handle it. And he did handle it, and he handled it very well. In fact, he made much preparation, much gold and much silver, so that when Solomon went to build, all the materials was there, and the craftsmen put it all together for him. But then just because everything goes pear-shaped, and <laughs> we've had those moments, haven't we? But that doesn't necessarily mean that God's not in it if it goes pear-shaped. Joseph was going to marry his sweetheart Mary. He loved Mary. They were, in effect, engaged, as we would say, betrothed, but it meant more than what we say were engaged. There was, a, <laughs> there was legal requirements. It was as good as married without the marriage being consummated. It was as if they were married, but they hadn't had the honeymoon. But that would come. So everything seemed wonderful until Mary came to him and said, Joseph, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant. Can you imagine how he must have felt? He knew he hadn't slept with her. Logical conclusion is somebody else did. His heart was broken. He loved this woman. But he was brokenhearted. And then the shame and the stigma and the gossip. And not only that, she said, such a crazy story. An angel appeared to me and said, the Holy Spirit's going to hover over you. And that which is born of you is going to be the Son of God. Would you have believed it? Put yourself in Joseph's position. Would you have believed that? It was so preposterous to Joseph that he decided because he loved her to put her away privately. He did not believe it. And you wouldn't have believed it either, and I wouldn't have believed it. It took an angel to come. God had to send an angel to Joseph to tell him, Joseph, it's true. Everything Mary told you is absolutely true. So just because things go pear-shaped doesn't mean that God's not in it. Mary and Martha, their dear brother Lazarus was sick, really, really ill, was about to die. What else would they do but send for Jesus, their dear friend, the one who stayed in their home, who ate their food, who slept in their beds, <laughs> there's no problem we'll send for Jesus Jesus will come and heal him not a doubt in their mind whatsoever but Jesus didn't come he didn't come he waited until he was dead and in the tomb for four days then he came can you imagine what they must have felt they were sure he would come why wouldn't he come we're friends we love each other. But he didn't come. How bad could things be? 
And then when he did come, it was too late. He was dead. By this time he stinketh. If you only had to come, our brother would have lived. He would not have died if you had to come. But you didn't come. That's the implication. You did not come. I'm sure they were angry. They were confused. They were hurt. They were pained. How bad could it get? But God was in it. He was in it all along. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And that pain and that hurt and that confusion and that anger, all of that would soon go when Jesus would raise him from the dead. They wanted a healing. He was going to give them a resurrection. He had a bigger plan. He had a different plan. And so in these periods of transition that we go through, you have to look for God in the situation and trust him and believe him and say, God, what are you doing in this situation? What's your heart? What's your purpose? What's your will? Because that's what I need to know. That's what I want. And then look, finally look to God in the transition. Because times of transition stretch us. They challenge us, don't they? They excite us sometimes, but other times we, we get anxious <laughs> because it's, we're out of our comfort zone. That period between adolescence and adulthood can be very tricky to navigate, can't it? Hormones are raging. Bodies are changing. Minds and opinions are being formed. Personalities are being formed. And it's a difficult period to go through. And it's a very difficult period for parents to go through. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> you have to remember, we put our parents through it too. We were no different. Hmm. Spiritually, it's the same in times of transition. We are being emptied from vessel to vessel to vessel. God is in the process of maturing us. We haven't reached our final destination. We've still that onward journey to make. Someday the journey will be over, but not yet. We haven't arrived. And as long as we are on this earth, and as long as God is working in us, then there's always going to be times of transition. Sometimes they're just little things. Sometimes they're big things. But if God's in it, and God's purpose is in it, then we will trust him, and we will transition from vessel to vessel to vessel until he gets us to the place where he wants us to be to be what he wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do, to have what he wants us to have. But it takes time and it takes a transition. Lord, we thank you that we are in your hands today. That your plans for us are working behind the scenes. Sometimes we feel frustrated because we can't see it happening the way we want it. But Lord, if we trust you, because you're wiser, 
because you see the end from the beginning. You see the complete jigsaw. So we thank you, Lord, that you're leading and guiding. We thank you, Lord, that you're emptying us from vessel to vessel. Our lives are being purified, being made drinkable. So we thank you for that. So wherever we find ourselves tonight, Lord, we bless you that your hand is upon us. That we're not going to be anxious or concerned or worried about anything. That we're going to trust you and believe in you. So instead of worrying about everything, we're going to pray about everything. And believe, Lord, that you will lead us into your perfect and good and acceptable will. So we give you thanks for this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content, available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal, or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.